This is Transformation Ground Control. Your source for all things business, technology, strategy, and change. If you're growing your business, leading change within your organization, or undertaking any sort of operational or technology change initiative, this podcast is for you. This show covers what you need to know about digital transformation, organizational change, operational improvement, and business growth. Five, four, three, two, one. And now, here's your host, Eric Kimberling. Hello and welcome to Transformation Ground Control. This is episode number 27. Excited to have you all here today, uh, Parisa and Kyler. Thanks for joining again today. Absolutely. You got it. Happy to be here. Great show. We've got some really cool topics we're going to talk about today, as always. But today is uh, particularly cool, especially if you're into emerging technologies and different types of technologies. We're going to spend a lot of the episode, if not most of the episode, talking about the uh, some of the emerging technologies, everything from artificial intelligence to robotics to uh, process automation, a lot of different stuff, and how that all relates to your digital transformation. And uh, later in the show, we're going to have uh, like a special guest that we're going to interview. Uh, her name is Emma Roloff from Navient Solutions, and she's going to be on the show talking about not just some of this emerging technology as it relates to AI and robotics and uh, document management, intelligent automation, all different types of emerging technologies. But we're also going to talk about the human side of adopting those sorts, sorts of emerging technologies. And uh, as you guys know, and as the audience knows, we can't seem to talk about transformation or technology without also talking about the, the human side of that. And that will be no different here today. Um, so we'll have Emma on later in the show. Uh, we'll do a little debrief of the discussion with Emma and sort of dive into some of the topics that uh, we hear or pick up on from Emma later in the show. But before we get to Emma and bring her on the show, uh, let's talk about AI. And Parisa, you had some interesting uh, comments or thoughts on this whole concept of AI or artificial intelligence. What, what have you got for us? Yeah, well, I mean, it's a hot topic, right? We're transitioning toward more use of AI and robotics and, you know, kind of these different emerging technologies. So I'm excited for really everything that we're about to talk about because, for me, at least, when I would think about AI, I would think robots taking over the world, you know, mild, mild fear of it. But it's because I didn't fully grasp the pros and the positive side or the positive angle that could come with it. So I want to talk about a handful of, you know, different use cases that AI is being used for today um, across, you know, multiple industries. But before I dive in, I have to clarify with you guys because I... I read about it and I see AI as a service, right? Similar to software as a service. So software as a service, it's SaaS, right? You pronounce it SaaS. What do you pronounce AI as a service? Yeah, that's that's highly inappropriate for this uh, family, uh, family-friendly <laughs> audience that we have here. <laughs> I know. Well, that's what I was asking. Should we call it AIAAS? AIS or AIS? Yeah. Who knows? You know, just I digress, but think about that. Let me know what it's called because <laughs> I couldn't figure out how to call it, like pronounce it. So anyways, <laughs> let me know what you think from there. But I did find an article from Forbes about the world's first power plant that is going to be run by AI. Um, and they're actually building it out in West Africa. 
And it's a completely new approach to how power plants have been run in the past, right? You have people that are overseeing the processes, the energy, the usage, really just the operations, right? But when you bring AI into the conversation, um, it's really how is this going to help not only with energy consumption and marketing or overseeing everything, right? Um, but is there an opportunity to also help the environment in a sense? So as, as I read through this, according to McKinsey and Company, AI and digitization can increase asset productivity by up to 20% while also reducing maintenance costs by 10%. So huge opportunity there to both grow and reduce costs at the same time, especially in this uh, industry. So, I mean, it comes back to the question of, you know, another big fear is will AI take jobs or will it drive jobs? And people are fearful of it reducing the job count of existing jobs, right? In this, in the case of a power plant, you're definitely going to be reducing some job responsibilities of the people that are overseeing the energy production, right? But at the same time, it's really shifting their job. It's, it's helping them focus on the more human side than uh, doing that kind of the things that are just kind of repetitive in a sense. So when I look at this, it's talking about artificial intelligence being used to drive efficiencies, produce more, so greater productivity, and increase environmental protections. And one of the keys to doing that is by handling the variations in supply and demand. So they think that the AI technology is going to help give them an upper hand in controlling costs, um, you know, pro providing more dependable power generations for everybody that is running off of that power grid. Um, and also leaning on the AI to determine weather patterns. Because when you have, you know, solar panels or wind turbines, it's all based on weather. Is it a sunny day? Is it is the wind blowing today? So the AI is being utilized to monitor those patterns within weather, but then also take it into the operational side of the power plant to, you know, determine how much energy should be released and just all the you know, all of the technical elements that go into power grid that we don't really realize when we flip a switch, right? So I thought it was very interesting because not only is that kind of a first big jump for AI in the energy sector, but it's also, it's also helping push the world kind of into a more green friendly approach, right? It's not that AI is going to reduce CO2 emissions, but it can improve the industrial process and reduce the downtime, which could help reduce it. Um, I saw another point on there that said AI also can help figure out where they should bury the CO2. I didn't realize that you bury CO2, but it helps power plants and oil companies decide where they can bury it um, in a way that would offset future emissions until renew renewable energy, at least, is able to replace those fuels. So fascinating stuff. Just one reason to, you know, not be terrified about AI because it's not only helping improve uh, functionality for the companies on a more micro level, but it's also kind of pushing society forward on a macro level as well. So I don't know, do you guys have ideas around other, you know, instances where AI is bringing positivity into the world? Yeah, not not just eliminating jobs and but actually creating furthering our society and making a company better and yeah, making it better for all of us. That's a good good point. Exactly. Yeah. I mean I feel like it's just a it's a small shift when you start kind of educating yourself on it and start looking at, you know, the good that comes with something like this. It it rounds out 
the risk associated, you know? So Mm -hmm. I thought it was interesting. Yeah. I think a lot of that fear is developed from the name artificial, right? I almost feel like we should call it like efficiency intelligence um, so that it's a bit less like there is this kind of haunted computer right in front of you that's going to do all of these different weird things and take over the world. So um, I think, you know, we'll, we'll really kind of dive into what that means later. But another industry that I found um, that was really showcasing what AI is, is healthcare. Um, so, you know, we have, a, we all have Fitbits or Apple Watches that gives us data, right, or yells at you to stand up in the middle of the day. But when we actually put in artificial intelligence, that's when we kind of bridge the gap between just being able to access the data of how your body moves and, and you know, expenditures of calories. But now how can it help in the diagnostic process or the preventative care? Um, so uh, I know Google, for example, is able to analyze a patient's eye and look at their risk for an impending cardiac event. So they recently did a study um, and the algorithm in which they analyzed the eye of this focus group, uh, 70% of the time they were able to tell if that patient was at greater risk for heart disease. Um, And, you know, that's just one area in which it's so important to be able to understand what does it mean to have the support of technology within our healthcare field, whether we're talking about um, childbirth or um, cancer research, all of these different things and creating that efficiency around analyzing patients and then prior data as well, in which we know that bots and artificial intelligence could create and analyze that um, for their human counterpart that would then create those action steps and those strategies for patient care. Wow. Wow. The medical side too is, you're right, it's a whole nother aspect of it because I mean, you look at the rural areas or rural parts of different countries where they may not have access to healthcare in in a sense. Um, and then even if you kind of pivot and look at robotics, like there could be someone who has, you know, a brain tumor in rural Africa and there is not a doctor there that could help them. But if there is some type of robotic structure combined with AI, you know, I don't know how it would work. So I'll leave that to the experts, but you could have a doctor in a different place kind of helping facilitate a surgery that otherwise wouldn't be accessible. So it's just opening up a whole new world in the healthcare field. Yeah. Both those examples with utilities and with healthcare, it's interesting because it's so, they're so data heavy. They're such data heavy industries and um, I, I know health or I know utilities better than I know healthcare, but I know for utilities, for example, they have just tons of data, like out in the field with all the assets they have, all the substations and power stations and transmission lines and, um, all the maintenance and repair and stuff they have to do. And the crews, I mean, there's just all this tons of stuff they have to track to try and predict, you know, where the, uh, failure might happen. And, same with healthcare too. I mean, if you're talking about internet of things with devices, you know, Fitbits or Apple watches, all the diagnostic or, or data that could be used for diagnostics. It, those are both really good examples of, of industries that are ripe for AI or have the data to support AI, which I think is an important 
point is the more the better data you have, the better AI is going to be able to support support your business. Right. That's the story across the board too. The better the data on any type of technology, whether it's ERP or CRM, the data is is the piece that will make it all come to life. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And it, another example that that we found is is in education too. So we've talked about utilities and healthcare, but another example is in education which you know, is a little bit different in that you don't have the super data intensive type type of situation, but it's more. Um, I think in some of the the case studies we've seen or have heard about, it's it's more focused on predicting and identifying issues with with the way an education process might be working. So, um, for example, if you have, you know, if you're a teacher and you've got twenty, thirty, forty students, or however many you have, you know, you're going to want to tailor your um, you know, your content and the way you, you teach and uh, the volume of teaching and the approach and all that stuff should be tailored for different individuals. But it's hard to know, you know, as a teacher, I would imagine I've never been a teacher, but I would suspect it's probably hard to know how do you treat these 30 different students or however many differently, or how do you target or pinpoint issues? How do you know when someone's not getting it? And there's companies out there like uh, Content Technologies and Carnegie Learning um, that have developed intelligent instruction design on digital platforms that use AI to help with learning, testing, uh, feedback from, from kids of, of all ages, you know, from pre-K all the way through, through college. And what some of the AI solutions in the education space are doing is they're helping identify the gaps in knowledge. So it's sort of helping pinpoint where those needs or, or gaps are so that you can tailor uh, content more specifically. And as this AI is getting more sophisticated, they're, they've got this ability to be able to even read the expression on a student's face to know whether or not they really are absorbing or getting the, the content that's being delivered, um, which is crazy. I know, I know a, a couple episodes ago, I can't remember what the context was, but we were talking about actually several episodes. It was probably pretty early uh, in one of our early episodes, Parisa, we were talking about um, technology that was meant to read people's faces when you're in a meeting, if you're not paying attention or something like that, and how it's sort of a big brother approach to, oh, hey, Eric's no. not paying attention. And <laughs> I don't know what you, I don't know what you do with Talk that about micromanaging to the fullest. <laughs> yeah. In that case, we were kind of debating. I remember we were talking about, is that a good thing or not? You know, it's cool. Technology can do that. But do you really want, you know, a corporate executive or a, a company uh, knowing that whatever, you're not paying attention or you could be paying more attention? But in this case, it's a little bit more, I would think it's a little bit more positive, although there is a, a strangeness to it, because I would imagine if he called out a student and said, our AI is telling us that you're not getting this or that you're not paying attention, I would imagine there might be a defense mechanism that goes up and says, oh, no, I totally get it. And I don't know how you would navigate that part of it. But as far as the technology itself, the, the technology does appear to be there to be able to, um, you know, read the faces of students to know which ones are getting it, which ones aren't, which ones need additional help or are confused or whatever. So just a couple you know, another example of an industry that's that's testing this whole concept of AI and, and using it in a real world application for better or for worse. <laughs> right. So that makes me think like the actual question is, where's the line? Like if it's for students that and it's helping them learn, you're kind of taking a little bit more kindly to that. Whereas if you're sitting in a conference room and your boss is scanning your facial expression to make sure you're paying attention, that might be a little abrasive. So it's, you know, maybe the conversation is where is the line to AI? Cause it could go either way. And are we using it for the right reasons ultimately, you know? Yeah. And is AI smart enough to know if I just always have a confused look on my face? Yeah, right? is it, maybe that's just my, <laughs> do it on purpose. Yeah. 
my or it's my personality. It's my normal way of operating. Is is AI going to pick up on that? And know that I'm just you know I just look confused by nature. I, I don't know how that confused. works. Who knows? I would say I guess we'll find out. Yeah, right. A company that really needs to invest in that type of technology to make sure that their employees are paying attention in meetings says a lot about that company. <laughs> when it comes to education, you know, that's a totally different thing because, you know, we all have different learning styles and communication styles. And there's been, you know, a longstanding debate around standardized testing and how do you really measure that, um, to your point. Not to mention that the education industry or the overall community has arguably gone through the biggest digital transformation in the last year when, you know, trying to um, identify and execute remote learning strategies. So hopefully if there is any silver lining to that um, whole process and, and how we work through that, that seeing that technology does have a space in supporting our students in education um, through other ways of making sure that they are actually supported as opposed to more of a, um, you know, a policing approach of your, of your corporate structure. <laughs> I guess what we're, where we're landing on this though, if we use AI in a good way, to your point, Kyler, then some of the benefits might be we're all, we're all smarter, better environmental outcomes, more reliable power, um, healthier. So you know, there are some definite upsides and I guess, you know, maybe the, the conversation shifts from, you know, am I afraid of losing my job or is AI bad for society and that it displaces certain people? Is that cost, assuming that cost is real and I, I don't know how you quantify that or how, how real it is, but let's assume it's true to some degree. The question then is, is that cost worth the upside of, you know, some of the more practical beneficial ways of using AI. And I, I don't know that we have an answer for that for the audience today, but that's maybe a different way to think about it rather than just looking at the negative downside, which is, I, I think what you were trying to get at, Parisa, right? Right, exactly. I mean, it just is kind of, again, it goes back to the balancing skill. You know, there's people who would probably want to use AI for not the most ethical reason, or maybe if it's unintentional, whereas there's people who genuinely see the goodness within AI and what it can produce you know, it's just who's, who's getting into the field of AI. So if you're thinking about getting into AI, I hope you're a good person. <laughs> <laughs> and you use it in the right way, in a good way. Yeah. 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 Not, not in the creepy uh, big brother way where you're looking for people that are slacking off at work or whatever, yeah. micromanaging. <laughs> good, good deal. Well, let's dive more into this whole concept of AI uh, with our next guest. We're going to have Emma Roloff here on here in a second, and we're going to get into AI along with RPA, robotic process automation, and uh, intelligent automation, document management, a lot of different sort of emerging or edge technologies that can really uh, enable a digital transformation. So we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back with more on Transformation Ground Control. If you are aiming for transformation success, turn to Third Stage Consulting Group. Third Stage's independent and technology agnostic consulting team helps clients define their digital strategies, define their roadmaps, and manage their transformations. With offices in the US, Europe, and Australia, our team helps the world's most forward-thinking organizations through their transformation pitfalls and risks. If you are embarking on a digital transformation or business change initiative, contact Third Stage Consulting to see how we can help you reach the third stage of transformation success. Learn more about us and download independent reports, videos, and other best practices at thirdstage-consulting.com. 
Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 27. You can find new episodes of our show every Wednesday on YouTube, Spotify, Google, um, Amazon, anywhere you listen or watch podcasts. You can find us there with new episodes every Wednesday. And I'm excited to have our next guest on the show. Emma Roloff is a senior account exec at a company called Navient Solutions. And Navient is a company that specializes in uh, technology uh, implementations and, and different sorts of technologies. And I'm going to let her explain her company better than I can. Uh, but Emma, welcome to the show. Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm excited. It's fun for me to be on the other side of the interview every once in a while and have the opportunity to to keep myself on my toes to answer the questions as opposed to always asking them. So, Right, exactly. So just to start, maybe tell us a, a little bit about yourself. I mean, how did you, I guess, just to start, and then I'll ask you in a second about Navient and what Navient does, but, mm-hmm. but uh, just maybe tell us about yourself. How do you end up, how do you end up in this world and what do you do now in this digital yeah. transformation world? So I'd like to pretend that I had this like master plan to get into the world of digital transformation starting at like age five, because that'd be a fun story to tell. Um, but I, I don't know if there are five-year-olds that are out there dreaming yeah. about that. Um, but I originally went to school to be um, a middle school and high school teacher. And um, so that was kind of even starting when I was five, I was always the one that played teacher and of course told my friends what to do in that avenue. Um, And then all through middle school and high school, the subject changed, but it always seemed that I wanted to be a teacher. Um, And then on the tail end of my student teaching and kind of going through that process, um, before I even had time to apply to a job in a traditional teaching environment, I was offered a position in corporate training Um, And I did that for a couple of years and realized like, hey, I actually, this business thing is interesting to me. And I had never really even entertained that idea in the past. And so when I started kind of looking at what that next adventure would be, um, I kind of found Navient, the organization that I work with, um, more by culture and less about what they actually physically did to help businesses. Um, My husband's office physical location is across the street from our physical location here at Navient. And he had worked on a project with a couple of my coworkers and said, hey, why don't you go check it out? And so kudos to Navient for giving me the opportunity to come in and learn about our industry because I, when I had my first interview, I didn't really know a lot about it. I just had my experience from previous positions, understanding what inefficient processes looked like and how, um, frustrating it could be in the the position of having to do those inefficient processes day in and day out. Um, And I mean, part of my internship was doing things like unclogging printers and and, or walking things physically around an office for approvals and the types of stuff that hopefully we'll be able to automate and not have interns relive again um, anytime in the future. And so I really kind of stumbled upon the industry, but the more that I got involved in it and the more that I saw the impact that our projects at Nambient were having on our customers and the cost savings that our customers were getting, I started to get pretty passionate about it. Um, and over the last year and a half have really found um, like my true passion of educating and kind of taking that teacher persona and putting that hat on in the world of digital transformation. Because even though you and I and people in this industry talk about it all day, every day, it's easy to think that everyone understands this. Um, But I've realized there's a pretty big gap in between 
people that aren't living and breathing in this industry understanding what it is and what it could do for them and us over here on our side. And so I've really been working to kind of take that teacher hat and help bridge that gap for people. Um, and that's really the part that I've found has been super exciting and a lot of fun for me over the last year and a half. Yeah, that's a, I mean, that's a super cool background and a non-traditional background to get to digital transformation. But um, as we talk about some of these topics today, I think, you know, we'll find that that's a very helpful background. I mean, I, I think having that human in the education-based background is something that's sorely missing and lacking in, in the digital transformation space. So that's something we'll, we'll get more into uh, yeah. here later. And speaking of that, by the way, I, I found you, the way you and I connected was on TikTok because you had posted yeah. a video about change management. And so that caught my eye and I thought, okay, we're thinking the same way here. And I think we engaged a little bit on TikTok and then, you know, here we are on each other's uh, podcast. So uh, thanks, for, yeah. thanks for being here. So tell us about Navient. What does Navient do? Yeah, so Navient, and this is going back to the idea of, of broad statements, this might be a little broad, but I can start giving kind of as we go through our conversation today, a bit more context surrounding it. Um, but we are a process um, minded consulting organization, and we are resellers and implementers of a number, number of technical solutions that are really focused on content and processes within the organization. So anybody like joining us today, thinking about your position, when I say content, I mean everything from your written emails that are coming in to potentially voicemails that need to be a part of, you know, a claim in the insurance industry or um, documents that you're pulling down from other websites or forms that your customers are filling out to, to start and kind of initiate a relationship with you. So we interact with all different kinds of content all day long. And sometimes organizations don't have a great way of organizing that and making it accessible for their employees while they're trying to get their job done. And so one of the major things that we do um, is, is look at how do we provide access to information and content in a way that enables automation and drives process efficiency within the organization. So um, typically our engagements are a mix of that consulting where we're really looking at what problems are we trying to solve? How are you doing things today? Um, maybe using some data along with our consultants background to help understand where are opportunities to improve your efficiency and your process. And then because we have a, um, a couple of different tools that we use in the background, we have the ability to kind of think through what are your business drivers? What are the outcomes that we're trying to, to help drive for you? And then we will pull from that toolkit of these different um, solutions to bring forward the right tools to solve those problems. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah, I want to dive into that a little bit more because you just hit on a, a couple things that are uh, weaknesses or the Achilles heels of traditional ERP systems. And, and that's that's really the, the crux of what we want to talk about today. So um, I guess to start, um, you know, I know one of the things that when we when I looked at your background and as we've talked, I know um, RPA, robotic process automation is, is one area that um, you guys focus on. And, and what I want to do today, there's a series of questions I have here to start that you kind of dive into some of these uh, emerging technologies and and pieces of technologies that don't necessarily get addressed by ERP or enterprise-wide technologies. And one of them is, is RPA. So maybe help us understand what RPA is, what, what, what's an example of where it might be used. Yeah. Um, so RPA stands for robotic process automation. And just like it says, it is bringing in not a physical, but a software robot 
to help you manage repetitive processes within your organization. And so that's kind of at its, its most um, pure definition. Um, but then we also, and this is where we get into to the land of ambiguity, there are um, tools and sometimes as you start to kind of do some investigation in how RPA works and kind of where it kind of blends with some of the other terms, there are times where there will be artificial intelligence or machine learning that are also working alongside with that software robot to be able to execute tasks that might go above and beyond just repetitive. Mm -hmm. But um, when we take a look at use cases for things uh, for RPA and how it can help organizations is it's really looking at where do you have tasks that um, are completed, you know, and sometimes for large organizations, things are completed thousands of times a day. Um, or um, when you're, you're looking at, you know, taking information from one system and entering it into another system. Or places where you maybe would desire to have something like uh, API integration so that your solutions can fit together much more seamlessly but it's an application that you don't have control out of because it's a third party application, or you'd like that integration to be with a website and you don't have the ability to build the same type of integration you would if you had ownership of all of those platforms. RPA gives us the ability to have your little robot assistant go and execute those tasks on your behalf so that your people can focus on the more innately human parts of their job rather than focusing on those really mundane or repetitive tasks that are done repeatedly throughout their day. Um, and so sometimes that RPA can be done um, in like an unattended fashion is what we call it. And that's where we would look at like really large batch processes that are happening hundreds or thousands or you know hundreds of thousands of times in a day. Um, or we have some attend or attended automation that allows your um, physical human workers to interact with the, that RPA um, bot to execute tasks in tandem to speed up their work on a daily basis. And so there's a lot of variability of how it can be used depending on the specific process and the other tools that are kind of making up your capability collection. Um, but ultimately the best way to kind of look at where you would wanna use RPA is automating highly repetitive tasks so that you can just take that portion out of your day. So something like processing purchase orders or um, I'm just trying to think of other examples, but POs, that, that's one that seems like there's a high volume of purchase orders or that sort of thing that people Yeah. Um, so one of the examples that I like to use when we're talking about, um, like, a, for example, in a um, claims scenario, when we're looking at adjudicating a claim and you've got a collection of information and you have to gather information from different websites and or download a police report or you've got you have to bring everything together into one place. One of the things that we can do is have your RPA bot go out and collect some of that information that you may need to make that decision. So go download a report on your behalf and bring it into your system of records so that you have access to it. Or, um, and, and there's, you know, the scenario where maybe you have a process that leads to having to open a ticket on an external website to, as kind of the last stage of your process you can gather all of the information and do all of the processing that you that needs critical thought 
and then have your, your RPA bot grab all of the data that you've collected and go out to that third party website and enter that data and open that ticket for you. So, you know, in that scenario, we're not talking about saving you hours a day. That might be, you know, two to three minutes to open that ticket. But if you're doing that a hundred times a day, all of a sudden that 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 starts to add up pretty significantly for you. So it's it's um, one of the ways that I, I kind of use to conceptualize how this works is a lot of times it's if you can show a robot uh, or that that bot that you're working with how you are executing that task and by clicking around on your screen and it can see the work that you're doing and where you're gathering information and where you're putting it, it will be able to execute that task for you. Now, is there always a return on investment to have that bot do that work for you if there's not a high enough volume of it? No, probably not. Um, but that's where, again, when we get to those really repetitive tasks that we can map very easily and we can essentially train that bot to what you're doing on your screen from day to day, then it will be able to execute that task on your behalf. Gotcha. Now, is this is this custom software or is this sort of off the shelf software that you could deploy in different process settings or different environments? There, um, so there are, I would say all of the solutions that I'm aware of are pretty configurable in nature. So um, there are probably, you know, custom RPA bots that have been developed by, by people, but everyone from Microsoft to some of the big names within RPA, like UiPath, Cryon, um, Automation Anywhere, Blue Prism, those are the, the large names within this space. And there's a, there are many, many more, including open source tools like Robocop, er, er, uh, Robobot. And there's you know tons and tons of tools that you can choose from. Um, and most of them are gonna be kind of of that low code configuration environment. So you have to understand how to interact with the tool. You have to understand the, the process behind it and how to configure the, the tool to do what you're looking for. But you're typically not building it from scratch as you're going into it. And it's really more mapping it to do what the business process requires at that point. Gotcha. So so I had, uh, you know, you and I exchanged notes on the on the questions I was going to ask you. And I'm already going to blow the script now because I can't help but ask, even though I was going to wait until later and ask about change management, I have to do it now. So when you have a situation where you automate someone's job and I'm a AP clerk and I'm processing, um, you know, processing purchase orders and paying, you know, setting up payments and whatnot. And so you're going to automate my job with this, this, uh, uh the RoboCop, as you called it the first time. I noticed the RoboCop <laughs> yeah, before I said it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> the RoboBot or whatever the software is. I told is. you there was going to be a time or two while we were having this conversation <laughs> that I misspoke. So go ahead. Sorry. That's why we do it live because it's not editable now. It's, it's on. Yeah. Like, it's, 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 Everyone knows I make up words. Anyhow, continue. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm here with Emma Roloff from Navient Technologies. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be back with more discussion with her on transformation ground control. If you are aiming for transformation success, turn to Third Stage Consulting Group. Third Stage's independent and technology agnostic consulting team helps clients define their digital strategies, define their roadmaps, and manage their transformations. With offices in the US, Europe, and Australia, our team helps the world's most forward-thinking organizations through their transformation pitfalls and risks. If you are embarking on a digital transformation or business change initiative, contact Third Stage Consulting 
to see how we can help you reach the third stage of transformation success. Learn more about us and download independent reports, videos and other best practices at thirdstageconsulting.com. Welcome back to Transformation Ground Control. My name is Eric Kimberling. I'm here with Emma, and we're discussing AI and different types of emerging technology. So let's jump right back into the conversation. When you automate someone's job, how do you manage that change? I mean, because that's a pretty significant change to come in and say, we're going to have a robot or RPA automate what you might be spending, you know, 50, 60% of your time doing. What, what have you seen work or what have you seen some of the challenges be from a, from a change management or human perspective of that? So I think the biggest, and I, I, I don't want to say this is a misconception because it is a change and you do have to manage that change. Um, but I think what typically happens and what I've seen with our customers is more often than not, they are welcoming of that portion of their job being taken because it's not that they don't have enough other things to be doing. It's that the other things don't get the attention that they should be, or they don't have the capacity to ever take a deep breath. And what I mean by that is, you know, there's been organizations that we go in to help specifically in this accounts payable scenario that you mentioned, that we're going in with, whether it's RPA or some of the other tools that we can get into that we've got that kind of help eliminate some of this manual work. And we go in and we help them automate portions of that process to eliminate the manual keying that they need to do. And it opens up time for them to suddenly be paying their bills on time as an organization. Because in the past, they've had a three month backlog of processing that they're trying to get through and they can't hire and train people quick enough or they don't have the budget to have those people there. And so rather most of the time when we come in, unless it's a very, very, very large an organization that has a lot of people only ever touching these repetitive tasks, do we get into the place where we're displacing people's positions? We're really just refocusing their time to focus on what are the really impactful parts of their job that drive the business forward. And usually once you kind of put it in that frame of mind, they're welcoming of that change because they don't want to be doing that part of their job anyhow. And so it's, I mean, and again, I don't, I don't do, do not want to mislead that there isn't, you know, some positions that might be um, eliminated because of intelligent automation and some of the, the tools that we're going to talk about today. But more often than not, the organizations are raring and ready to go to take that person and train them to do something different if their whole position was something that's being eliminated or they're shifting their focus onto that higher value task. Um, but it does, you have to have the conversation honestly yeah. on the front end for them to get to the point where they understand that and they're not fearful of the change or fighting the change. Because if they think that their job is going to go away, they're not going to help you do it. But if they understand we're not here to eliminate your job, we're here to make it better. And let's talk about what your your ideal better job looks like and you be a part of this. They will come up with new ideas to manage the process. They'll help bring forward other, you know, bottlenecks within the process that you should be focusing on as well. And it'll be just a, so much more collaborative throughout the entire process. Yeah. So getting their engagement and buy-in early on rather than defining the change and forcing the change on them is sort of the 
Yeah, and one of the things I mentioned that, you know, from our perspective, our methodology, we have typically a blended approach of bringing in a process consultant and or using data to help us hone in on where those opportunities are for improvement. But I think that that process consultant and even, you know, whether it's someone internally or a third party, but somebody being there to help you have those conversations and ask questions in the right way and frame things in the right way and not forget about the people is such a critical part of that because, you know, as you get into conversations about change, it's a scary thing for people. And you know that, I mean, we're both human centric change people. Um, and when you can help them feel even incrementally more comfortable with it and help them feel ownership of it. One of the main things that we do is a discovery process where our team is working alongside with our customers team to design what that future state looks like. And when it's somebody from the outside asking questions of why do you do it that way? Or is there a different way to do this? It's less threatening to answer those questions and you don't get the, the same defensive nature that you do if you're managing it internally. And I don't know if you guys have had that experience, but sometimes that like friendly third party asking the question is a lot more well-received than somebody, um, even if they have good intentions within your organization. Yeah, it's, you're not, you're not caught up. People know that you're not caught up in the politics, you know, the internal dynamics and, you know, we're not, you're not jockeying as an outside party. You're not jockeying for any sort of, there's no ulterior motive to suggest something like that, but it could be perceived that way. If it's someone internally suggesting like, Hey, what is Emma, what do you do all day? Like, you know, do we, do, we really, do you really need to be doing that? Maybe we should just automate your job. That's going to be a lot more threatening if I say it to you as, an, as a coworker versus a consultant comes in and maybe more tactfully asks the same, the same thing. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, that's a, that's a good point. I hadn't thought of it that way, and, it, and it's interesting to hear you say that because uh, we see a lot of organizations that um, that don't even think about like what what are we going to do with that time that we save? You know, they and that is something I think from an org design perspective you have to do is say, okay, if I'm saving thirty or forty percent of Emma's time and she doesn't have to process POs anymore, what is she going to do? What's her focus? How does it? How does she reprioritize her work um, in the unfortunate event that her job is going to go away? what does that look like? What do you do with Emma? You know, and, and just having those answers is important. And, and companies don't think about that a lot of times because they're so focused on the technology. Like, how do we get this technology to work and how do we define the process? But they don't always think about what is that impact to the organization? Yeah. And I, again, we've had some, and I would say more early, early adoption of digital transformation when there used to be mail rooms with, you know, 20 people that were working in these large organizations. That was when I, I think we saw a little bit more of like, a, okay, so what does our training path look like for these people or where well, where else in the organization can we find a spot? And it was a little bit more purposeful. I would say it's been a while since there hasn't been enough work to keep people busy after we've automated portions of their job. Um, that like, it isn't like, a, we just, you know, more they've brought in automation because they have a capacity issue as of, or they are growing so rapidly and they would rather not have to hire at the clip that's required to support that growth. And so then they're able to keep the same size team, but you know, the, the company growth would have outpaced the size of their team had they not automated the process. Right. I've got one customer who I think if I'm gonna say this correctly, they have a process that they put in place probably 10 years ago. 
Um, and so they were early adopters of, of technology and using it to manage processes. But over the course of that time frame, they have offset an additional headcount of 130 people from how they were doing the process to what they're doing today and incremental improvements to that process over time has allowed them. So it's not a hard ROI because they didn't hire those 130 people, but based off of their project projections, they were able to offset that much additional headcount. Yeah. 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 It seems like in more recent years, uh, companies are a lot more lean, you know, they don't have a lot of, a lot of, uh, fat to, to trim, you know, in terms of, uh, people I know in the nineties, when I started my career, there was a lot more, it felt like there's a lot more trimming that had still had to happen in terms of, of headcount and whatnot. Mm -hmm. Um, so keeping in this initial theme of, you know, sort of alternate emerging technologies that not everyone is, is fully aware of yet. Um, you mentioned the word intelligent automation a second ago. Tell us, tell us that. What, what is intelligent automation? How does it apply to an organization? Yeah, so um, I, I got and dropped that. And one of my big pet peeves is within our industry. I mean, at least an ERP has been an ERP for a while now. In our industry, it seems like every two years or so, we like to throw another term at everybody just to confuse them. And so <laughs> intelligent automation, I don't wanna say is a completely separate idea from something like RPA. But really when we take a look at intelligent automation is we're looking at tools like artificial intelligence, machine learning, um, natural language processing, these more kind of advanced emerge, they're, they're still emerging because they're not kind of at the point where we think of AI as these, you know, all knowing, uh, I think it was Will Smith in the, the iRobot movie. Yeah, it was. You know, like we think when we think of artificial intelligence, we think of like these all-knowing, like crazy smart robots that are going to take over the world. We're not to that point yet. So if we're if that's our goal, we're still emerging. Um, but it's bringing in those um, human-like thought patterns, and you know, AI in itself has so many different layers of then kind of subsequent technologies that build up to that larger category. But it's taking that kind of hum human mimicked intelligence and bringing it into these automation tools that have been around for a while. So things like RPA being combi combined with those tools would then become intelligent and kind of that intelligent automation space. Um, another Kind of category within this and i mentioned that this kind of falls into our capabilities as well there's a technology called ocr which i'm sure being in the erp world you're familiar with ocr but that's optical character recognition in the past that that technology has been around for for many many years far before i got into the industry it was very template based and it was very much being able to look at a specific portion of a document based on coordinates or based on a you know a, a a actual template that you built out in your tool to go to this spot and capture the characters that were at that spot within the document. Now we're able to do things like intelligent document processing, where we have AI and, and machine learning as a part of these solutions. So rather than having to build out templates, the tools can kind of look at the document the same way that a human would and use context on the document and use things like natural language processing to know that the pound sign or the hashtag or whatever we want to call it also means number. And it knows that that means number and it knows that we may, through that natural language processing, we may abbreviate the word number down to NUM. 
And so when it sees, you know, and or, or I'm sorry, or um, invoice, it sees invoice and, you know, it has the invoice number and it's an abbreviation or it's a pound sign or however that that vendor presents that information to you. The tool is intelligent enough now to understand that that's what that means, understand the context of that, and then know that it should look above that, it should look below that, it should look next to it. And then it's going to determine, oh, okay, that's the invoice number. I'm going to grab that value and I'm going to pull that out as an index value. And that typically has had to be either a manual process or we had to build out those manual templates to be able to get us to that point. Now these tools you know, are so well-trained and so well-versed in what an invoice looks like, you can have all sorts of variability still with very high confidence coming through because of that intelligent aspect being added into the tools. And what we're starting to see much more is now that intelligence being built into all sorts of technology that allows us to kind of move into that intelligent automation space beyond just capture or beyond robotic process automation to things like business process management or BPM tools now starting to have intelligence infused in them. So it can start to do some routing with a little bit more logic and a little bit more thought process and intelligence behind it instead of all just yes or no, right or wrong, you know, kind of logic that we've used in the past and starting to minimize the amount of human intervention that you need in these processes when things follow your, your standard process. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. And I can see a lot of uses for that. I mean, there's so many, you think about the average organization, a, a big, huge company that does lots of different things, lots of different documents floating around with different nomenclature. And even just that one example of invoice number, you know, think of all the alternate scenarios where that would help, you know, even outside of invoice processing as well. Well, and some of those, again, with, with machine learning and that type of thing, I call, you know, I talk about that, that tool specifically a little bit of an art and a little bit of a science right now, because when it's got machine learning in it or any of these tools that do, they get more effective over time too. So as you get more documents running through the process and the engine has more time to learn from these document samples, you will have to intervene and kind of verify through the process less and less as it goes. And so it will know, oh, okay, even though I see this address block and I know this address block is this vendor, and I know this vendor typically puts this information there and, oh, okay, we're processed. We know we can, with confidence that we've got it. And it can do things too, like, you know, on the invoice side, I'm going to calculate all the line items and add in the tax and make sure that this, you know, that the number I've captured here matches and, and is verified based on the math that I've done. And so it can do some of that stuff that we had to rely on people to do even three years ago, you know? So there's um, there's a lot of advancements being done in all of these kind of automation or process management tools to get to that point where we have less and less intervention needed each step of the way. Gotcha, okay. And so uh, we have a, an audience question I wanted to get to um, from Karen, who's, who's watching on Crowdcast. And again, if you're watching on LinkedIn or YouTube or Twitter and you have questions, feel free to just put them in the chat box uh, on that platform. I'm watching all of them for any questions that come through. But the good news is Karen is not uh, thinking too much differently than you and I as it relates to the human part. So I'm glad it's not just me that couldn't resist asking the change. <laughs> but, but Karen asks, what role changes have you seen when an organization moves to bots? For example, how does this impact customer support? So what so are 
advocacy. Yeah, and I actually, that's, Karen, that, that idea of customer support, one of the biggest areas that we see RPA being used is in customer support and some of those front-facing um, roles within an organization, even beyond, um, you know, when, let me actually, let me take a half step back. So number one, when we bring in this type of automation, typically what happens, and, you know, we talked about shifting focus and shifting mindset, um, having the capacity to be empathetic <laughs> or having the capacity to respond quickly and um, actually manage customer service is something that is really, you know, uh, when you are months and months behind processing your invoices and you've got vendors giving you late fees and you have your boss telling you you need to cut down on your costs and all of these things. And suddenly when your coworker sends you an email to ask you who, like in this scenario, it's your customer, you know, your, your, your customer emails you to say, have you gotten this invoice? I had a vendor reach out to me. You're not that concentrated on being super polite in your response to that. You're not that concentrated on getting them a response to answer that question quickly because you have so much work. Once you have the that I kind of called it the ability to breathe <laughs> and you have the bandwidth in your position to offer that customer support in kind of that setting that we've been talking about, I think it ultimately improves your customer experience, whether those are internal or external customers. Now taking that half step forward to kind of changing directions of what I was just talking about, there are so many use cases of RPA specifically within call centers or front facing customer service scenarios where um, think about when you call into a customer service line and a lot of times they're asking you like, oh, okay, what was your order number? Or what's your customer number? Or they're looking for some sort of identifying information for meal. They're usually asking you to hang tight for a minute while they go and they look for your information. One really good way to use RPA is to have that bot do all of the lookups of all of the information that that customer support rep needs to be able to help solve your problem when you're calling. And so um, that is a super, super common kind of attended scenario that I, I mentioned earlier where you're using that bot to bring back information to help you solve a problem. And um, in scenarios where we've got big call centers or customer service um, situations, trying to solve the problem on the first call and trying to solve that problem quickly is often a really big KPI for those teams because that's their goal. They wanna help you, they wanna help you on the first call. They don't wanna have to transfer you to somebody else because they can't solve your problem. And so a big part of that is getting all of the right information in front of them at the time so that they can see what document you got in the mail and actually be able to tell you what it means. They can see exactly where your order is within the, their, their process or help answer any questions that you've got. And even to the point where, you know, as we start getting into some of the intelligent automation space and also just RPA and kind of looking at automation in this, this arena, it can do things like present customer service reps with reminders to make sure at certain stages of the, the conversation that they're saying things to you that they are required to say to you and making sure that they stay compliant and making sure that they don't have 
500 things running in the background of their thought pattern while they're trying to listen to you so that they can be empathetic. They can truly listen to you because they're not fearful that they're going to forget to do something that they're required by law to tell you. And so being able to just free up that mental space <laughs> to even have a smile in their voice when they answer the phone helps improve customer service and your as the customer, your experience and like overall um, opinion of that interaction. Yeah, it's it's almost like um, you're using technology to allow people to do do less and think more. You know, it's it's like you're you're and that when I that's an oversimplification. You're still doing stuff, but you're not doing super manual processes. You're doing higher value processes. You're you're, it's an opportunity to redesign the purpose of a customer service rep and say, you know, your job is not to go look up stuff. Your job is to be the face of the organization to the customer and to, you know, do all the the breathing that you need to do to be successful uh, in that role. And it's changing conversations about what professional development for some of these types of roles looks like and what, um, what like to your point, just innately, what is the role of that? that job. And um, if you're handling exceptions and you're handling complex, that's a different skill set than handling mundane and repetitive. And as we get to the point where chatbots are coming in and when I want to understand something and I can type back and forth with someone while I'm at work doing something else and I don't have to call a customer service rep, I'm not going to make that phone call unless I'm really angry and I need help or I'm really upset about what's happened and I'm feeling emotional about it. So you need the capacity when you're always taking ex um, those exceptions. There we go. When you're always taking those exceptions and always managing these more emotionally charged interactions, you need that support from your technology to make sure that you can actually focus on the conversation that you're having so that you don't take a misstep and hurt your customer brand, just like you were talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, I'm here with Emma Roloff from Navient Technologies. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be back with more discussion with her on transformation ground control. If you are involved in any sort of digital transformation or business change initiative, you will want to download the 2021 Digital Transformation Report. With its comprehensive overview of business and technology trends and best practices, this report is a must-have guide for any transformation project or executive team. Download this free report by visiting Third Stage Consulting at thirdstage-consulting.com. You can also visit our website to learn more about us or download independent reports, videos, and other best practices. Again, visit thirdstage-consulting.com today to learn how to take your transformation to the third stage of success. Welcome back to Transformation Ground Control. My name is Eric Kimberling. I'm here with Emma and we're discussing AI and different types of emerging technology. So let's jump right back into the conversation. Abala, who's on Crowdcast as well, watching live, he he asked the question, which is a great one. Are the bots that you mentioned before, are those capable uh, to do OCR for different languages? So if you have documents in different languages, can it is it multilingual? Um, I mean, it depends on what technology you're looking at. The solutions that Navient has, we have two main intelligent document processing tools that we use or that intelligent um, 
uh, OCR. And both of those do support multiple languages to the tune of probably like 20 or 30. I don't know if either one of them can take every and all language, um, but I haven't actually run into a scenario with one of my clients where we haven't been able to process what they're looking at. So it's, it's most of the main languages that um, we would run into with our customers because both of our software vendors that we work with are um, international companies. So they're working with people outside the US on a regular basis. Um, the, I would say that if, you know, if you're looking at a specific tool, make sure that that's a question that you ask because there are some that don't have language recognition capabilities across the board. Um, and same with currency recognition. Our tools do support multiple currencies, um, but sometimes that can can throw other tools depending on what level of intelligence um, or maturity of the tool it is, if they have the capability to do that or not. Right, right. So I want to shift gears a little bit. There's actually more I wanted to cover on the on the sort of the technology side, but you and I share so much in common as far as uh, our views of what makes these sorts of transformation successful. So if we kind of step away from specific technologies for a second and just talk mm -hmm. about transformation in general, whether it's OCR or bots or intelligent automation or ERP, whatever it is, you're, you're doing something to automate your business and improve your business using technology. What do you see as the most important success factors to, to make a transformation successful? Well, I, so no surprise here, but to me, I think change management is the most important part of a transformation. And the reason that I say that, and I, I do not wanna minimize the importance of having the right tool and making sure that whatever tool you're bringing into your organization at least can support your requirements. I, you know, going to a conversation we had earlier today, teaser for everybody, we talked about enterprise versus point solutions. I think that there's something to be said about making strategic decisions with your technology that will allow that technology to grow with your organization over time. So I do not wanna minimize that, but ultimately, even if you have the coolest, newest, best, amazing technology around and you implement it and nobody decides to adopt it, it doesn't do the cool, great, amazing things you paid lots of money for it to do. And um, my colleague, Mark Miller, always says that technology is the easy part and that the people are the hard part. And um, the more I am in this industry, the more I realize that that's true. You can, again, you can do all of the right things, but if you don't have the buy-in of the people that are supposed to be driving it, you're not gonna get anywhere. And so for me, there's kind of like three main things and there <laughs> sounds really simple when I break it down to three things, but I think that there's like three key principles of change management that have to be there and have to be done well for your project to go well. And the first one starts maybe even before you've chosen the technology and that's, you know, identifying what the change within your organization is going to be why you need to make that change and making sure that every person that's involved in the change understands that why. And I don't mean understands the why like from a theoretical level, but understands it well enough to have taken it and internalized it and turned it into their own like what's in it for me statement. Hmm. Going back to what you said at the beginning or the question that you asked at the beginning of, you know, like how, how do you manage the change of potentially automating large portions of people's uh, position. And 
ultimately, if you can get them to understand what's in it for you is you don't have to do the part of your job that you hate most every day. We get to take that away and you get to do the parts that are interesting to you or you have less things that you don't like to do all day every day as a part of your position. But helping them understand what's in it for them, not what's in it for the organization, but how it's going to impact their life and make their life better you're going to have an automatic advocate and they are going to have a stake in the success of the project if you can do that correctly. Now that can be done when you've had a solution chosen and you are, are working on getting the buy-in for the, you know, as, as you get going, or it can be done before you've even selected the tool. But that has to be done and there needs to be an understanding through all levels of the organization of why it's happening and why it's valuable to them. And that why looks different for everybody. And then once you get to the point where you're actually working on implementing a solution, it can't be a black box that's solving the problems for people. Now, do they need to understand how OCR is working and what the algorithms are in the background? Of course not. Do they need to understand um, you know, what API integrations are happening to pull all of their systems? No but they do need to understand what that process looks like and how decisions are being made through that process. And um, as you're going through it, making sure that you're being transparent with stubbed toes or hiccups or repivots because you've understood, you know, you identified through your process, like, ooh, there's actually a way better way that we could be doing this. But there needs to be transparency to that because how, I mean, I, I guess I can't ask people on, on the call to raise their hand with us, but I would imagine most people have been in a scenario where a change has been um, either just handed to them and they're told like, okay, this is your new process. And I am like the number one person of like logically being like, how, why? why? Why do I have to do this? Because if I don't understand why, then I'm probably not going to. And, um, or there's a lot of organizations that will make a big hubbub on the front end that they're gonna do something and disappear into darkness for a year and a half and then just never have anything happen and never tell anybody about what's happening because a project died or it's all of a sudden the timeline has extended substantially and then everybody that you got excited about the change is suddenly discouraged and doesn't believe in your ability to deliver the solution and whereas if you were just honest and transparent about what that process looks like they would be accepting of that and still looking forward to what the value will bring and then on the back end, you can't just bring a solution in and sit it there and, and hope that people understand what it's done for the organization. You have to clearly communicate what wins you've got, what lessons you learned, what did that look like? How, what does this mean for the organization? You have to have, you know, highlight stories of people that got benefit out of the project so that you have momentum behind your total digital transformation. And if you don't take advantage of that, that opportunity to share those stories and scream from the mountaintops about your successes, then again, it's going to be that much harder when you start over again to explain the why and get the buy-in. And so it can be this really like self-perpetuating thing. If you do the change management effectively, suddenly you're going to have so many ideas and so many projects that you don't have the bandwidth to complete them and you have to put together a roadmap. But if you don't do that the right way, then you don't get to that that stage of your transformation. Yeah, yeah, that's great points. And the, you know, the buy-in uh, seems to be a common theme of of what you're, what you're advocating is just getting people involved early on and um, and in understanding. I think you hit another really good point, which is understanding the what's in it for me personally, or at the very least, my team or my part of the organization, not 
it doesn't always work to have that high level fluffy, you know, we're going to be more efficient as an organization and we're going to provide better customer service. And that's all great, but it's like, what does that mean to me? Like what I'm doing every day. So I think it's a really good point. Well, and when you hear things like we're going to be more efficient as an organization and we're going to do this project, that's when you start to get the fear associated with those types of projects because people will jump to conclusions about what that means for them if you don't help them get to the 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 crux of what you're looking for. Now, again, I hope that most organizations are not just doing these massive automation projects just to, you know, let go of people because I don't think that that's the right decision. And I think most organizations understand that they need their people. Um, but that doesn't stop the fear of people thinking that automation is going to take their job. And then you look at headlines and there's headlines all over the place about how AI or intelligent automation are going to get rid of X amount of jobs but it leaves out the part of the equation of how many jobs can be put in place to help support these technologies and or how many jobs will just change and not disappear, but look different. Um, and that's that's another one that I could, could go on for, for a long time about. But I, you know, when you look at the, the last industrial revolution that we had, how many more jobs were created by advancements in technology then were eliminated by people no longer being able to do what they were doing. And um, as technology advances, your role looks different. You, you may potentially have to learn new things, but there's still plenty of opportunity for humans to, to be involved in our work and find work that they're passionate about and, and continue to do new and exciting things um, with this technology. Yeah. Yeah. I remember, when I was a kid in the eighties, you remember the eighties, right? Of course. It wasn't alive, <laughs> but, but. <laughs> sorry, I had to throw that in there. I, 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 we can say nineties, right? Cause I was there for that. <laughs> my, my parents worked uh, at digital equipment corporation in the eighties when I was growing up. And um, so they were in technology or they worked for a technology company. But um, I still remember even back then, like there was all this fear of like computers taking over the world and getting rid of jobs. And that was the same time when, uh, a lot of Japanese auto companies were were moving into the U.S. and automating a lot of factories and things like that. So there's this whole, I remember this underlying fear, even as a kid, you kind of sensed it, like this fear of like, oh gosh, robots are going to come in and just take over our jobs. So this isn't really anything new or that fear is nothing new. I think that there's always going to be that underlying fear, um, is, especially as technology gets more and more advanced like that. Well, and the irony of that specific situation is there's a pretty significant shortage of techs that can fix the types of equipment and actual like physical robotics that are in car manufacturing and heavy manufacturing because something like that goes down you have to have technical training and you have to understand how to fix that but there's a shortage of people that can fix that and you know so had had we been a little bit more forward thinking and spent time encouraging people to go into those positions instead of always just pushing in a different direction of like acad like heavy academic work, there'd still be lots of opportunity for people to go into the manufacturing space to be a highly specialized technician in those scenarios. And so it, there there's some irony to me that they, you know, the people that fix the robots that potentially took those jobs are now in a shortage because we didn't spend the time right. learning those skills. So I think that, you know, you do have to, you have to be prepared to learn new skills and figure out now that doesn't always mean being a developer. That doesn't always, you know, there, there's lots of people that feel like they have to figure out how to be a 
whether it's code developer or citizen developer doing configuration, I'm an example of somebody that did not come from a technical background, did not come from, and I, and I have a career in technology now because I took the time to learn some new skills and, and, and build that competency. Now, do I understand everything to do with technology? No, but I have a career that's based in it. And there's a lot of opportunity to take soft skills and other things and repurpose them to get more involved in what the, the future of work looks like. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's, that's well said. And I think that's why a lot of skilled labor positions are in such high demand too, you know, mm -hmm. in, in addition to fixing robots or whatever the case may be, there's just a lot of skilled labor shortages throughout the uh, throughout the world right now. And I think a lot of that is because of the way just the economy is shifting and it's just, it's just changing the nature of work and changing the types of jobs that we need. Just as we unpack the, the, the micro example of the AP clerk and how they're, or the customer service rep whose job is, is just evolving. It's still, it, on one hand, you could say that that person's job might go away, but what we're saying and which, what I've heard you say is it's not necessarily going away. It's just changing. It's changing the focus and the purpose of the job. So I think that's a, a really key point. Okay, I'm here with Emma Roloff from Navient Technologies. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be back with more discussion with her on Transformation Ground Control. If you are aiming for transformation success, turn to Third Stage Consulting Group. Third Stage's independent and technology agnostic consulting team helps clients define their digital strategies, define their roadmaps, and manage their transformations. With offices in the US, Europe, and Australia, our team helps the world's most forward-thinking organizations through their transformation pitfalls and risks. If you are embarking on a digital transformation or business change initiative, contact Third Stage Consulting to see how we can help you reach the third stage of transformation success. Learn more about us and download independent reports, videos, and other best practices at thirdstage-consulting.com. Welcome back to Transformation Ground Control. My name is Eric Kimberling. I'm here with Emma and we're discussing AI and different types of emerging technology. So let's jump right back into the conversation. Now, what about uh, another question is maybe a, a bit more of just your, your personal background. When you look at your, your education background and then you spent the first couple, a couple years after being a teacher, you spent a couple years doing training. Mm -hmm. um, how do you think that skill set, that non-technical skill set has, has helped you or complemented or what has it done for your career at Navient in, in this space? So, I mean, I think that background is probably the number one reason that I am so passionate about change management. And I think anybody who has been in a middle school classroom standing in front of them, trying to teach them about something that they don't want to learn about and having to feel the question of why do I need to know this and when am I going to use it as an adult? you start to very acutely understand how and why humans need that why. And it's just, and or you look at, you know, I've got two young daughters. My two-year-old probably says why 500 times a day. And that just looking at our nature as humans and interacting with children in that capacity, you really, really quickly understand that that is such a critical part of getting buy-in for anything in life. 
Um, even no, <laughs> no, you may not do that. Why? Well, I've now got to explain it. And I do that so many times a day. And so I would say that's probably like the biggest in terms of like my approach to our industry and my thought pattern on it and why I'm so passionate about change is I think that comes from the teaching days and, and ultimately the training days too. Um, I did my, my corporate training was working for a fast food franchise and training, um, franchisees who are going to go open up their own business um, and run, you know, that franchise, all the ins and outs, everything from making a hamburger on the grill to um, interacting with the customers at the, the cash register to scheduling their team members and understanding the HR laws and that kind of thing. And um, you, that th why is so important there too because ultimately you need to instill the why for them to take that forward and protect that brand. And so that was a really important part of what I did as well through that position was helping them understand why these things are critical for you to understand and how that fits into your job as a brand ambassador moving forward. Um, and then looking at teaching as, you know, directly related to my position, you know, I didn't go too deep into that, but I'm I'm a sales executive for Navient, and I manage a number of our um, our accounts as well as looking at bringing on new customers. And so, a lot of my position beyond what I do on social media is having converse like critical conversations, doing presentations, and just being comfortable in. We talked a little bit about it before, but being comfortable and going out and giving presentations and talking in front of people. And knowing the worst that's going to happen is I'm going to embarrass myself a little. I did enough of that when I was teaching, enough of spelling words wrong on the board or misspeaking and having to go back and tell the kids like, you know, uh, this happened or here, you know, talking through kind of that critical conversation with this very critical audience. And um, I did see another question come through, but like my last piece is I got very, very good at not having all the answers as a teacher. And I think being in an emerging industry, you have to be very comfortable living in the gray and not knowing all of the answers and working with your customers to solve their problems and working through that process. And um, you get all sorts of varieties of questions and things that come about when you're teaching. And you, as a human, only have so much capacity to understand the ins and outs of things and you never know what direction your conversations are going to go so i got very good at saying like you know what i don't know the answer to that question but let's figure it out together and that's something that i do pretty regularly with my customers and that's been something that i think is really valuable from that career path that i've been able to bring over gotcha yeah it seems like that's a pretty unique uh, skill set i know you know when we're developing our team and looking for, you know, people to join our team. We're, we're looking a lot less at the technical competencies and more at the, the human and EQ and change management, uh, mindset, if you will. Um, so that's, uh, that's super interesting. And that, again, that back to how you and I, uh, met on, on TikTok and that for some reason, TikTok seems to know me well, and you came up in my, <laughs> my algorithm or my feed or whatever. And, and so, uh, I thought I'd reach out, but all these emerging technologies worked to get us to, to collaborate on our conversations. <laughs> exactly. That's, that's a good point. If it wasn't for AI, I don't know that you and I would have, uh, would have met or, or come across paths in that, in that way. Yeah. Um, so there's another question that popped up, but I'm actually going to maybe preface or spin it a little bit differently. Cause it's a very difficult question to ask or to answer. Okay. Um, so Gabby on Crowdcast, and this will be sort of maybe the last uh, 
topic we'll cover here today, even though there's a million things I didn't ask you that I wanted to ask you. So we'll have to have you back on again at some point there we go. <laughs> to cover part two. Um, but the question is around, uh, the actual question is around how much of uh, uh, this type of digital transformation, which would be RPA and or machine learning plus ERP might cost a small or mid market company and, and how long would it take? But maybe before we get to that answer, maybe I'll back up and ask a pre a pre question leading into that, which is how does the stuff you've been talking about so far, intelligent automation and RPA, machine learning, AI, we talked a little bit about document management. We didn't dive super deep into that, but you look at these different types of technologies that are, um, they're very specific. They, they solve very specific types of, of problems. How does that fit in? How do you usually see that fitting into a broader ERP system? Is it, is it usually, are you guys usually doing this as part of a big, you know, SAP or Oracle or Microsoft implementation, or do they already have an ERP system? And now you're coming in to sort of plug the, plug the gaps or add additional value with these, with these point solutions, or how does that usually look? I would say it depends. Um, so some of our customers will be kind of going about a big bang transformation approach. More frequently than not, though, we are coming in with established kind of core solutions, so to speak, whether that's an ERP. Um, because these tools that we're using are so flexible, they sometimes will solve problems to back up accounts payable. And, and then there will be another implementation, let's say it's an insurance company, and they're doing claims management, integrating with their core um, claims and underwriting solution, and then they find another use case to support HR. And so that, that's the beauty of the tools that we use at Navient is they're really flexible frameworks that can come in to help support gaps across the organization. And um, we still want to have a defined use case and we still have some really strong kind of repeatable or repeatable use cases that we find like, you know, we've talked about accounts payable. Every company has bills to pay and every company has to follow some semblance of the same process to accomplish that. Um, every company has employees that they have to manage and documentation that support those employees and things like maternity leaves or um, performance reviews or those types of things that that may be managed within their HRIS system. Um, typically, they do a really great job of managing the data. And that's kind of what we see across the board is an ERP or a, um, HRIS or claims solution or in healthcare, you know, your medical records system, they all do a very great job of managing data and driving some processes associated with that data. Now, where we find the use case for like our, our services are typically where there is a process that is dependent on the content and there's information and content that's going to drive that decision. Usually there's something left to be desired with those core applications managing that process because you like in that accounts payable process, there's an invoice. And if someone has to approve that invoice, they need to look at that invoice to make sure that they want to approve it. Now, some ERPs do a great job of managing and, you know, over the course of the year, there's or course of time, there's blending of capabilities and overlap between tools. Um, but we typically, when we're working, we look at what you can do with your existing solutions. 
and let's keep that core processing and that single point of truth and data where it belongs. And then when you've got gaps to fill, we can be that secondary layer to help fill in those gaps. And the best visual that I've seen of this, and I wish I had it to show on the screen right now, is kind of a puzzle piece that is one base puzzle piece that locks into these different applications and locks into different processes to fill gaps and create a layer that helps you pull everything in your organization together. So, um, and then, you know, that that's kind of document and process management. And then RPA, you know, doesn't necessarily need to be dependent on a document. That can just be a repetitive process and helping enable something above and beyond what your RPA or your ERP can do. Um, and so the, the best way is just really when you, you look at your organization, if you have things like email chains with attachments that are going to five or six different people to manage a process, you've got macro enabled spreadsheets that are you're using to try and manage processes, old like kind of custom built solutions that are kind of clunky that aren't really doing the job for you to manage some of these side off processes. Those are usually the big red flags that there's an opportunity for us to help you be more efficient. Um, and I have yet to run into an organization, probably even my own team, that aren't using some sort of macro enabled spreadsheet where there's a better way for us to be doing it. Um, and so there's, you know, the opportunities are so endless in terms of how we could potentially be doing it, but it's making sure that there's a return and a value that comes from automating that process. Got it. So maybe I, and I'll try, I'm trying to unpack Gabby's question a little bit or, or get to a uh, answerable version of, of that question because it is so broad and it's, it's a great question. Don't get me wrong, Gabby, but it's just, it's a, there's so many variables that go into what this costs, but you know, just order of magnitude, how help us understand what some of these tools, these, these point solutions you're talking about, RPA, machine learning, et cetera. How, what is the cost and the, the time to implement compared to, you know, say an ERP, a broader ERP system? So, um, when you take a look at like RPA, for example, is a relatively low footprint in comparison to like an ERP or even like a document management solution or kind of like full content and process management solution. It tends to be a smaller, like physically smaller implementations as you're getting started. A lot of companies will do like a small proof of concept or one or two processes that they're really focusing in on and then grow over time. Um, and even within RPA though, the hard part with this and, and kind of going back to what you were saying, Eric, is there's so many different vendors and so many different options available. So for small to medium sized companies, you know, they're there are the options to go with like, like Microsoft earlier this year announced that their RPA is going to be a part of their suite. And if you have Microsoft products, you have access to it already. Now, do you have the internal competencies to develop it? Do you have the internal, you know, that it's not free. Let, let's be real. There's, there's costs associated to it, but the software itself might be available for you within your organization. Um, now, is that the right tool for every organization for a small one who's looking to automate small processes and you wanna train yourself to do it? That may 100% be the best bet for you. Now, if you're looking at a large scale, high volume, 
unattended process that you know is going to offset $100,000 worth of cost savings, you probably want to look at getting something a little bit more robust and bringing in a partner to help you with that. And that's a very different kind of cost structure in comparison to um, that small one-off like Microsoft type stuff. Same thing with um, you know all of the solutions that I offer. Microsoft has kind of a counterbalance to it that might meet your needs. Now, going back to what we were talking about before, my job is to help understand what your needs are and help advise you on if we would be the right fit or if there's other solutions that you should check out. The, I mean, when you start looking at the landscape of technical solutions, for me to be able to answer the question of like, what should be your expectation? It really comes down to how critical are the applications that you're, you're automating are, um, you know, what, what kind of return you're going to get as an organization of what kind of, and, and also just like your palette of, do we want a solution that we want now? And we're aggressively growing in five years, we're going to be three times the size that we are then you probably don't want to bring something in that you're going to have to replace in a year anyhow. So there, there's a lot of dynamics that go into kind of answering that question um, and, you know, features and functionality that go into it. Um, but there are, you know, if you're if you're interested in learning a little bit more about how to find like a, a great solution to get started with, I would encourage you to start looking into there's tons of information about Microsoft's offerings from the RPA perspective, um, as well as some open source tools and that kind of thing that you could certainly have a lower cost entry point um, if that that's what you're looking for. Interesting. That's super helpful. Well, we we've we've actually exceeded our hour i mean and like i said i could easily spend another hour and still probably not get through all the questions i had plus whatever additional questions the audience has that we didn't get to but i want to thank you for for being here emma this was a super interesting conversation i learned a lot from from chatting with you and uh i appreciate how how you take some fairly complex topics here and you've, you've sort of simplified them to where even i can understand and i presume if, if i can understand it you know, hopefully the, the rest of the audience can too um, yeah well, thank you for having me Absolutely. How do people get a hold of you? And what's your what's your uh, TikTok or social media handle, just so people can can find you? Yeah. So LinkedIn and TikTok are both just going to be Emma Roloff. Um, so you can, um, you know, if you're on LinkedIn and you head over to to Eric's, I'm sure I will comment so that you can find me easily. Um, and then on TikTok, it is just at Emma Roloff, I believe. See, I'm so new to that game. You are well more experienced than I am, that I'm still kind of like figuring out the waters there. Um, but on, on LinkedIn, I'm pretty active, do a couple of series of my own. So you'll see Eric on um, in a couple of weeks with my weekly interview series, as well as some live streams and that type of thing. So I'm easy to get a hold of there and happy to answer any questions that anybody have um, in direct message there, or my profile has my, my work email as well. Cool. And just uh, for people that are listening that don't see Emma's name, it's spelled E-M-A and Roloff is R-O-L-O-F-F. -F, just to That would be helpful. That. Going back to what we said, my hippie parents named me Emilea and took out that extra M. So that <laughs> does that. Harder to find you now. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Thanks for being here, Emma. There's a great conversation. I've learned a lot and there's some really good things for us to unpack there. And when we take, when we come back from a quick break, uh, Kyler, Parisa, and I are going to talk more about some of the themes and threads that we heard about in that conversation with Emma, because there's a lot to, a lot to digest and absorb there. So we'll take a quick break, and we'll be right back with more Transformation Ground Control. If you are aiming for transformation success, turn to Third Stage Consulting Group. 
Third Stage's independent and technology-agnostic consulting team helps clients define their digital strategies, define their roadmaps, and manage their transformations. With offices in the US, Europe, and Australia, our team helps the world's most forward-thinking organizations through their transformation pitfalls and risks. If you are embarking on a digital transformation or business change initiative, contact Third Stage Consulting to see how we can help you reach the third stage of transformation success. Learn more about us and download independent reports, videos and other best practices at thirdstageconsulting.com. Welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 27. You can find new episodes every Wednesday on YouTube, Spotify, Amazon, wherever else you might listen to podcasts or watch podcasts. And we just had Emma Roloff from Navient on the show. We had a good discussion with her about different types of emerging technologies, the human impact of that, a bunch of stuff. We covered a lot of territory, and we probably could have spent another one to two to three hours just going you know, down the, the different paths we were, we were starting to cover there. Um, but Parisa, what were some of your thoughts or things that jumped out at you when you heard the interview? Yeah, I mean, hearing that interview, it made me kind of back up off the ledge, like I said, about AI and my initial perception of AI. Because it's it's something, again, that can be implemented on a micro level and have an effect on a micro level or a macro level. Micro being if you have a, tr a digital transformation within your organization and you add on an RPA solution or... AI, et cetera, but then also where it's pushing society as a whole. It's not going to be taking away jobs. I mean, I love that you guys talk about that. It's and compared it really to the industrial era, right? When when there was a fear of computers in general, and now we can't even imagine our lives without our computers, right? It's brought us all together. We're able to talk from across the ocean to people in a different country. We're able to do so many things with with computers. And I feel like the trajectory is hopefully in the same, um, you know, direction as it was back then, but with AI. So, you know, having her on to kind of talk about what is RPA, robotics process automation, intelligence automation. I mean, I understood that it was very robust to begin with, but I didn't quite realize how, um, how big the capabilities are specifically with RPA, because initially, you know, I was thinking, they just take on the the mundane tasks, the things that are repetitive, and they automate it for you. But based on what she was saying, I mean, this this robot, should we give him a name? John. <laughs> the, the robot that you integrate or the RPA that you add on to your existing system, it can pull from multiple... Uh, places. It could pull data from various platforms, funnel it into, you know, a specific process and then, and then bring in that automated process of the repetitive pieces. So I don't know. I just thought you would have to put in the data, whereas the RPA can actually go out and get the data on its own and kind of fully own a process to where it would just take the person that would, was initially performing that task to a more almost like a managerial role overseeing it to make sure that it operates efficiently. So I was surprised to hear that and just hear, you know, the extent of which you can use RPA in your processes. Um, and it drove the question for me. I know in a couple episodes ago, we were talking about cloud and obviously ERP solutions are 
all migrating to the cloud. If they're not all there yet, they will all be there very soon. So I guess my question is, is RPA a cloud solution or is it more of an on-premise solution? Can it be, you know, dabble in both? How does it work exactly? Do you know, Eric? It's a good question. I think it can be either or, but um, I think you're more likely to have it in the cloud just because so many applications are now in the cloud and so many applications that you would presumably be drawing from to enable some of that automation would be in the cloud. Um, but having said that, I think, uh, I suspect, I don't know this for a fact, but I suspect you could also do on-premise with, with that as well. Right. And configure it. Cause if you have an on-premise ERP solution, I imagine you could just configure it and integrate it. So it sounds like both. I mean, it's, it's, there's a lot of parallels between RPA and really it seems like AI and ERP. It's, it's ultimately you're implementing a technology, right? So if they're available on premise, it's going to be available on the cloud. I mean, I just mentioned the the trajectory of existing technologies, enterprise technologies pivoting to the cloud really kind of in the 2000s, right? Was when that caught wind and everything started migrating to the cloud, right? Yeah, really just in the last, uh, yeah, in the last 10 years or so, it really, you know, and it certainly in the last three or five years, it's accelerated even more for sure. Yeah. So, I mean, I wonder if as an emerging technology, if this is just going to start on the cloud, like you just said, or more predominantly on the cloud, or if it's also going to take that pattern and, you know, anything that's already out there that's not on the cloud is probably going to be on the cloud. Everything's going to be on the cloud. <laughs> it seems to be where it's headed. I mean, it, most, uh, even the holdouts uh, among the vendors that are slow to adapt to the, adapt to the cloud are, are still moving that direction. So whether or not it stays there, I guess, is a whole nother question, but that seems to be at least right now, where, where most vendors are headed. Right. And I know that Emma mentioned Microsoft added RPA as an inclusion in their product. Are you seeing other softwares do the same thing and kind of make this an add-on just to, you know, expand on the service offerings of their software? Um, well, first of all, I, th I thought that was fascinating. I didn't know that until she she had brought it up, but um, I thought that was a really interesting point. Good move on Microsoft's part to just really embed um, that technology into you know everyone's daily toolbox. Whether or not they use it, obviously, is a whole other story, but at least it, the toolbox is there. So it's a good move on their part because they have such a wide reach with, with all their customers. Um, I haven't seen other customers do that other than, I guess, or other vendors do that other than I guess I would say a lot of the ERP, you know, enterprise technology vendors like the commercial off-the-shelf type of vendors like SAP and Oracle and, and Microsoft Dynamics, some of those uh, ERP-ish type systems are incorporating AI and RPA machine learning into their technologies. But I'd say they're pretty, pretty rudimentary compared to what, to what Emma's talking about and, and some of the pure rpa and ai and different applications of that I, you know i think it's fairly limited so far in the in the world of enterprise technology whether it's erp or crm hcm whatever technology you're talking but i think there's a big opportunity there for sure for that for those i'll be curious to see if that converges more you know and so rather than having these standalone technologies that sort of bolt on and, and leverage and augment core enterprise technologies will it eventually just converge and become part of one offering i would think that's where the vendors would want to go at least the big ERP vendors, but that's TBD, I suppose, on whether or not they keep going that direction. Yeah. I mean, if Microsoft is kind of taking that step, I feel like in order to stay competitive, the other big players would probably have to follow the footsteps. That is if 
RPA is really in demand. You know, it all depends on, is that something that's helping uh, Microsoft sell more of their enterprise software or is it something that's just like a nice to have for most companies? But if, if it becomes popular and, you know, more companies start adopting it, I could definitely see, you know, for example, Oracle or NetSuite adding on those functionalities as well so they can stay relevant to their mm -hmm. competitors. Yeah. yeah. In other hot Microsoft news, I heard that Clippy's coming back. So maybe Clippy will be the um, the robot or the bot <laughs> that takes us through. Who's Clippy? Oh, Clippy. Oh, my gosh, Brisa. I feel like you're too young for Clippy. Clippy so was. I don't know who Clippy is. Oh, my gosh. Well, Clippy was that really highly annoying. Sorry, Clippy. But um, graphic that they would have that would give you tips and all kinds of efficiency tactics for utilizing Microsoft systems. So maybe with, you know, the reemergence of Clippy, that's where they're going into ha having that, you know, executive assistant, if you will, um, and how, how that oh, goes. I love through. that. But, I didn't know Clippy was um, coming. I forgot about Clippy. If you hadn't said yeah. that, I, I would have never thought of Clippy again. Oh, so well, it's interesting. Clippy's yeah. making a comeback and, and um, you know, it's a, it's a big deal, at least in my world, it's a big deal. <laughs> But that, I mean, that kind of stemmed, another question for me, Eric, is is from, you know, an independent consultant standpoint, when you're going through kind of the discovery phase um, with clients, uh, are you talking about AI solutions that do kind of, that would benefit more core ERP? Like, is that part of the conversation now that this is becoming something that's much more utilized within the industry? Uh, sort of, it's, it's very limited, I'd say, and not because we don't want to talk about it, but because most clients just, they're not there yet. I mean, they're, you know, they're trying to do just basic efficiency gains, basic automation. They're trying to, you know, remove bottlenecks and they're, they're not quite to the point where they're thinking about how could AI totally transform our business. Now, you know, when you get into evaluating different technologies, it's good to see, you know, what the technologies can do and give you ideas on how to improve it. But it's just so many of the clients that hire us are, are just so far behind. You know, some of them are moving from homegrown systems from that were literally developed in the eighties, you know, late eighties or whatever. So it's, you know, you're talking 35, 40 year old systems. They're not nearly ready. They're not, they're barely ready to make the jump from an old green screen to a, you know, somewhat of a modern cloud system and going to AI and all that stuff that Emma and we've been talking about, that's a whole nother jump. So I think that's a, you know, maybe an important point is you can always, I think sometimes companies say, well, we don't even want to worry about that because we're still just trying to get to this interim step. But I think you do want to look at, well, longer term, you, hopefully you'll, you'll eventually get there. So you want to know that you're, you know, evaluating or finding technologies that can help you get there. But, um, so I think it's, it's more of a maturity issue and also a, I don't know if it's a risk aversion issue, but it's, it's sort of a, you know, how big of a swing do you want to make in your transformation? Do you want to really go all in and, go, and make this massive leap to AI and full automation and RPA and all that stuff? Or do you want it to take more of that incremental step of let's just fix our current system and let's just be somewhat efficient, then we'll start to go to that more game-changing technology. So not good or bad, but I think the vendors are clear, the vendors and the technologies are clearly way ahead of the, the market in, in my yeah. opinion. Yeah, I think it's nice to know, though, that you can always kind of revisit that conversation. Like you, you might have like a phased approach to your project, but having someone um, like yourself or or Emma 
you know, to kind of walk you through, like, what are the capabilities there, I think is, as a business is such a huge asset. Because I know I learned a ton of just what you even could do. And I found myself thinking, like, oh, I definitely wish I could do that. But I've never thought about that before. Um, and having that kind of independent opinion, I just feel like is so important when it comes to just the overall capabilities of the different systems you're working with. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I agree. And one thing that you said, Eric, I mean, it's it sounds like a lot of the companies that are seeking out enterprise technology, like you said, are a little bit hesitant to take the full leap. I imagine if the executives are a little nervous to take the full leap, that the people within the organization would be even more you know, intimidated by integrating a robot or AI into their operations. So I imagine it's kind of a steeper incline for that uphill battle of organizational change management. I mean, you have majority, I don't know the percentage, but I would assume it's the majority of people are apprehensive and nervous about AI and robotics. I mean, I'll check the stats just to see, cause I'm curious, but from just my circle of friends and family, AI is kind of preconceived as intimidating and taking my job when in reality we were talking about it at the beginning, it's more so enabling time for people to focus on the tasks that they enjoy and the things that actually challenge them as a human. It's not just data entry or, you know, creating invoices or things like that. So, I mean, Emma even spoke of it. It's what do you like to do? Maybe this will take away the things that you don't enjoy doing in your job. So it could be a pro. And that takes me to her three key principles of OCM. You asked her about the success factors for a digital transformation. And as with you, if I ask you that question, you would probably have the same answer as her. Organizational change management is what it comes down to. And she specifically mentioned before you even select a software, you should identify what exactly the change is, why things need to change, and then figure out how to communicate the change in a way that's positioned for the WIFM, what's in it for me. Um, so I wanted to unpack that because I think that's so powerful and there's a lot there on just timeline and how you do it. So I know we have a lot of business leaders and managers listening to the show. So knowing that it would enable more time for employees uh, if you automate certain processes that they do regularly, like how deep do you need to go in that preliminary phase? Should you know you know, what their new roles will look like, or is it just knowing what is going to be taken away from them? Um, or kind of, I, I see it as two pieces of the puzzle, right? So you have the processes that will be automated that they'll no longer do. And then you have, what are they going to do with that extra time? Do you need to have the, what will they do with that extra time figured out at the beginning? Or is that something that you can figure out down the line of the transformation? Well, from a pure technology implementation perspective, you, you don't necessarily need to, to define what they're going to be doing to replace that time in the future. But, you know, as we always talk about on the show and as we talk about with our clients, it's not a technology implementation. Typically, it's more of a broader transformation and the people are, you know, a key part of that. So I think from a change management perspective, it helps tremendously to define what that role is going to look like. So if I you know, if half my job is now being automated um, and I have a clear vision of what are those fun things that I'm not doing today because I don't have time that I could or should be doing, what are those things? How am I going to do that? What would that look like? To me, that's just as important as an employee as the stuff that's going away. In fact, I'm going to support this much more if I can get excited about those things that I can now do. What 
the mistake that a lot of companies make is they say, well, don't, don't worry, Parisa. Your job's going to get so much better. We're going to get rid of all the stuff that you don't like doing. You're going to have to do lots of fun stuff. And then, but you can't, but I can't tell you what the fun stuff is, but just trust me, there's, there's some fun stuff in there somewhere. We'll figure that out later. You know, the minute I say that, then you're thinking, okay, that doesn't, I don't believe you. That just, I'm not sold on that. And not only that, but um, I think she, Emma made a comment somewhere in the, along the way, I don't know if it's in the same thread or not, but she was talking about how um, if you could, you, just the more you involve them in making these decisions, the more you involve employees in making these decisions and helping define what that job could look like, um, then, you know, you're going to get even more buy-in. So then they become less threatened. They're part of the solution. The change isn't just happening to them. And I think too many organizations think of this as change management that needs to be managed, you know, pushed on people. Um, so I'm going to change your job and I'm going to tell you how it is. I'm going to try and convince you that it's the right thing or the best thing for you. So what she's saying and what I agree with is you sort of flipping that a little bit and saying, well, let's, make the employees part of that, or at least have some key stakeholders that aren't, you know, executive levels that can help, um, help define that. Yeah. That yeah, totally takes me to the next question. Oh, oh go ahead, Kyler. <laughs> I was just going to build on that. Um, because I thought she brought up a, a really good point when it comes to your question and how deep do you have to go and kind of what is that process? Something that she illuminated for me was just the overall communication and the autonomy of having that conversation. Like, you know, what, Parisa, what do you do all day, you know, and how, how to kind of reposition that to understand, like, where would the efficiencies lie? Because that's really the first step. You have to make sure you understand what they do. And having, you know, a, a manager or someone in a senior position be like, oh, okay, but why does that take you four hours? Or what, or John the robot could do that in five minutes type of thing. Um, and how important that step is in really bringing them in before we even engage them and helping us enhance the process, understanding and discovering where those efficiencies could lie really could grow a huge amount of fear and already put a bunch of resistance into your process. So having that conversation or, or hiring a partner to help you have that conversation in a more kind of neutral zone is definitely something I took away from that interview of you know how pivotal that is to really setting the tone for the overall project. It's a really good point. I, I totally, totally agree with that. Yeah, that was literally, you took the words out of my mouth for my next question. <laughs> it's like one mind. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll, I'll still bring it up, but I, I do think a lot of it is in, you know, getting the buy-in. And like you said, Kyler, it's the ownership. I mean, if you include them in the conversation, your employees in the conversation of, well, how can we craft the job to be something that you're passionate about that aligns with your skills? Those are things that, you know, would help drive that, that buy-in and support when you're implementing the new technology. And my question was, should the executives or the project leaders make a decision on what, what the new job description would be? Or is it something that you collaborate with the employee? And it sounds like based on what you guys are saying and what Emma said, Collaborate with the employee because why not? At the end of the day, they're the ones that are performing the task and know it inside and out. So they'll be able to give you some more, um, you know, framework around how else can you improve the processes that you're not going to be automating. So thanks for answering my question before I even asked it. Good job. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it, it is a good point, though, because if you, you know, on one hand, you think, you know, there's part of, you know, sort of the leader in me that would say, well, you know, on one hand, you want to set a clear vision and give direction to employees, right? So, but that that's, there's a fine line between that and just 
being authoritarian, authoritarian, is that the right word? Whatever. Dictator. (laughs) Becoming, (laughs) just telling you this is how it's going to be, you know, so there's a fine line between providing leadership versus just, this is just how we're going to do it. And I think you can provide leadership and direction and sort of what are the goals of this transformation? We want to be more efficient. We want to be more effective and maybe unpacking an individual job and saying, you know, Parisa, if we were able to automate 50% of your job or whatever, um, what are the things that you think, where are the things that you think you could have the most value or what are the, for this job, you know, maybe not you personally, but just this job in general, um, what, what, what would you suggest? And a lot of times you find that people have really good ideas, you know, when you have those sort of conversations because um, they think about it every day. They think, man, if I didn't have to spend 20 hours a week doing this, I could be doing A, B, and C, which would add more value to the company. So, you know, if you get the right people in there, you'll get some good, useful info from that change perspective. Completely. And total tangent here, um, irrelevant to technology, but just on the people side of the business, I heard of a best practice where businesses are using suggestion boxes where people can write anonymous notes and recommendations on how you can improve processes. So whether it be with technology or whether it just be how things are getting done in your business as is, consider adding a suggestion box so people feel comfortable voicing their ideas because you you never know. You might have some brilliant minds that could save you a lot of money and how you could operate. Um, but you would never know because they're nervous to tell you about it or something. So enabling that communication. I mean, everything comes back to communication, whether it's, you know, manager to managee relationship or even the relationships and, you know, your friendships and your family, everything comes back to communication. So um, it makes complete sense that that was part of Emma's three keys to success for OCM. Yeah, absolutely. And another tangent, I, I find it interesting that you, when you were asked to name the robot or when you asked yourself what the robot's name should be, you said John, because that's what I was thinking too. I was thinking Johnny, which (laughs) if I know you're way too young for this, but but for the fellow children of the eighties, there was a movie out called short circuit. That was about a robot that like was almost human. and His name is Johnny. So it's interesting that I'm presuming I'm going to make an assumption here that you're too young or you don't, you haven't seen that movie. I have not seen that movie. You are correct. <laughs> so if you, but it does tie back to what we're talking about because if you go watch Short Circuit, it's like a lighthearted, you know, it's a lovable robot and like you're not threatened by Johnny in Short Circuit. So if anyone's looking for further motivation on how AI and robotics is not a terrible thing or doesn't need to be terrible, you could always check out some of those 80s movies and the ways they portrayed robots are usually uh, oftentimes we're, we're positive. So, well, we're going to, I know we've got, <laughs> it's a good movie. I know we, we have more to unpack here and more threads we want to pull on here from our uh, discussion with Emma. Uh, We're going to take a quick break and we'll be back with more Transformation Ground Control. If you are aiming for transformation success, turn to Third Stage Consulting Group. Third Stage's independent and technology agnostic consulting team helps clients define their digital strategies, define their roadmaps and manage their transformations. With offices in the US, Europe, and Australia, our team helps the world's most forward-thinking organizations through their transformation pitfalls and risks. If you are embarking on a digital transformation or business change initiative, contact Third Stage Consulting to see how we can help you reach the third stage of transformation success. Learn more about us and download independent reports, videos, and other best practices at thirdstage-consulting.com. I'm 
Hello and welcome back to Transformation Ground Control. I'm here with Parisa and Kyler. We're talking about a lot of different things. We're talking about AI, change management, how change management fits into some of these emerging technologies that we've been uh, talking about throughout this episode. Uh, but what else do you have for us? We've, we've sort of covered some of the big threads, but what other uh, threads did you pick up on from our conversation with Emma? Yeah, well, you know, we're talking about the OCM side and how you need to start communications early, right? And just the timeline of when things need to start going out, how you do it. So that took me to the concept of implementation planning, because I think a lot of that is, you know, it it always goes back to the guardrails and the framework of the project that you set at the beginning. So Obviously, OCM plays a huge part in implementation planning, but what other components of a transformation, whether it's implementing an RPA solution or a giant ERP solution, what are the components that people should be planning out before they get started? Yeah, so it's it's really any of the, I mean, the biggest thing you want to plan is anything that's going to be on the critical path or the things that are going to take the longest and be more likely to slow down the project. And change management is certainly one of them. Um, that's a very commonly overlooked one because people almost become uh, they they suffer from sort of a chicken in the egg sort of phenomena. They they don't know or have enough clarity themselves what the change is going to be, let alone enough clarity to be able to to communicate to others what the changes are going to be. So they they there's this phenomenon where companies tend to put it off or project teams put off change management and. That the humans are the harder part to change. I mean, that's going to take you longer to define what someone's job is going to look like and get them comfortable with that and define what the processes are going to look like. That whole cycle takes a lot longer than designing and configuring software, typically. So change management is definitely one of them. But then you also look at things like um, you know, process improvements. If you don't take the time to do process improvement up front or at least some degree of process improvement even before you start implementing technology or bring on your system integrator to start designing the software, you want to define sort of that vision of what those future state processes are going to be. And I'm not saying get down to the level of granularity of how the software is going to be designed yet. That's what your technical implementer will help you with. But you want to have that higher level framework of this is our common way of doing business. This is how information should flow. And then by the time the system integrator and the technology gets involved, then you have a clear blueprint for that. So business process is one. Um, Data migration is another one. You know, a lot of times organizations have such corrupt or dirty data that takes a long time to clean. You have to map it to the new systems. You have to migrate it. You have to define what you're reporting and your outputs of that data are going to be. That that whole work stream is oftentimes a cause for delay. So the if you can get a head start on those three areas, you know, data, change management, process improvement, um, those are probably the biggest ones um, that we see or the, at least the ones that come to mind right now. Right. That makes total sense. And I think, you know, with anything, if you aren't prepared going into it, your chance of failure is a lot higher than if you kind of have the vision set in stone, you have something to revert back to um, when you come across a time where you need to make a decision in the project. Another thing I would I would ask if this is part of it, but executive alignment, I mean, defining your future state and your, um, you know, is everybody on the same page with how our new processes are going to get us to our five, 10 year goal. Um, I would say executive alignment is something that should be at least considered at the beginning. Right. Absolutely. So then as far as, I mean, Emma was saying you can either, you know, tack on an RPA solution or an AI solution to your existing ERP, or some people want the full shebang and they do a, a, 
big digital transformation with a new ERP system that has RPA and AI functionality too. So does the size and scope of a transformation affect what should go into the plan? I mean, does that kind of make one of the things that you just mentioned a little lower on the priority list if it's just a simple, you know, functionality tack on? Yeah, it does. So, you know, as an example, if you were to deploy a bunch of different technologies, you know, AI and ERP, CRM, whatever, you're putting together a bunch of technologies that you're going to roll out to the organization. Change management is still important. Process improvement is still important. Um, data migration is still important. But what it adds to that uh, mix of things that are critical to, to address in your implementation planning is just your overall architecture strategy. So, you know, how are those systems going to tie together? Um how are you going to handle integration? What are the data flows between different systems? How are you going to roll out those different technologies, assuming you're not going to do just one big, massive, big bang all at once? Um, all that stuff becomes even more important to define in your implementation plan. So I don't know that it changes anything necessarily, the scope, but it, it could add to the mix things that you need to more carefully consider during your implementation planning. But I'd say in general, change management and process improvement, data migration, those are pretty standard as far as no matter what your scope, those three things are going to be super critical. It just might be that there's other things as well that become more critical. And by the way, executive alignment in my mind, I I sort of lump that into change management, but it's probably worth calling out because that is a sort of a, that's independent of change management. I mean, that's even more strategic or broad, just making sure your team's on the same page before you start running down the path of, of implementing stuff. Right. Yeah. I mean, it makes total sense. It it doesn't really matter. I mean, it matters to an extent, but regardless of any technology that you're implementing, there's going to be some type of, you know, you have to be strategic about it in order to execute upon it appropriately. Right. So having that plan in place, I mean, it speaks to any type of change really that you're going about. And most importantly, if you're implementing new technology. So I mean, I, it just brings me back to the, the conversation of how kindly I take to AI and, you know, how my fear of robots has dwindled a little bit after this conversation with you and Emma. So I actually appreciate that because whether we like it or not, that's where it seems like the world is going. So it's kind of just, a, it's a shift, right? If you're looking at it from a stance of fear and, oh my gosh, I'm going to lose my job or you know, they're going to take over the world, the the Johns or the Johnnies taking over, you know, it's, it's going to freak you out. But if you shift your mindset and you're more so looking at, wow, there are going to be a lot of new opportunities, whether you're an entrepreneur looking for a business to start, or you are in the IT space and you want to really dial in on something that you're good at. I mean, take cybersecurity, right? Five years ago, was cybersecurity as in demand as it is today? Absolutely not. I wouldn't think so, right? I mean, there's so many new jobs and new skills that are going to come into play as we continue to evolve technology um, where it's, I mean, it's either get with it or, you know, survival of the fittest kind of like you really need to expand your skill set and start looking at new new opportunities and new skills that you can add on to your repertoire. Um, you know, I just keep going back to this because I feel like this is really what drove me home was when you and Emma were talking about the computers coming into the picture, you know, and automate, you know, helping processes kind of on that more surface level scale. Um, and just how now you look at all of humanity is pretty dependent on some form of computer, whether it be like your phone or, um, how your business operates. So 
that really put it into perspective because that's what I think we will probably be saying when AI is just another norm, you know, and, um, Again, I'll go back to saying if you are a good person, maybe you should consider getting into AI because it'll just amplify the good in the world, right? So lots of opportunity there. And I, you know, I appreciate Emma kind of opening up that can of worms because I feel like there really is so much to talk about when it comes to these emerging technologies. Yeah, definitely. And then how, how it relates to your customer, right? Because we we um, are so generational based, right? My my father-in-law doesn't want Alexa in his house because he thinks that she's listening to everything he says. But my son, who is only two, knows exactly what Alexa does, right? So how how do you meet the needs of your customers and enhancing that overall process? I thought the example she gave about a call center and customer service and creating that, that opportunity for um, the technology to enhance the overall process for your customers. And that's really something that will influence your overall ROI. So understanding what your market needs as far as technology too, not just kind of your back-end systems, I thought was a really interesting point that she brought up. Yeah, looking at it from the customer journey experience perspective versus just the inward focus of how do we make our lives easier. It's also, you know, like you said, how do, how do our customers benefit from this? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Very good stuff. Well, that was a, a great conversation both with Emma and, and the debrief afterwards. It's always, it's always interesting to soak in as much of the interview as we can. And then, you know, the wheels start turning even more and you start going down some different, uh, D different uh, threads or uh, paths there. So that's, that was super helpful. So I uh, want to thank you guys for the great discussion here today. As always, Kyler and Parisa, thank, thank you for being here. Uh, thank right. you to the thank audience you. for being here. Certainly thank you for Emma for being here as well uh, on the show. And uh, again, you can find us every Wednesday with new episodes on YouTube, as well as Google, Amazon, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and anywhere else you might be listening to podcasts. Be sure to subscribe to us. And if you wouldn't mind, leave us a review. Uh, any feedback you can provide on whatever platform you're listening or watching is always appreciated. So I want to thank you very much for everyone's time, and we will look forward to seeing you next week on Transformation Ground Control.